Hello, and we are back. This is Harry Day with Too True to Lie with the sixth installment of Mexico, the surf trip. I've been reading through the journals so I can remember what went down. And uh, really, when we get to Puerto Vallarta, our Mexican friend who's tagged along with us has a half-brother there named Juan. I'm not sure what Juan did. I don't know what he what he does. He was living with his ruca, which is a Spanish term, a Mexican term. Sublime sang about waiting for my ruca. Um, could be girlfriend, could be whore, could be wife. He didn't say esposa, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was his wife or common law wife, and they had either two or three children. They had two children and a baby, and they also lived with his wife's mom in this little house in a community up in the jungled hills outside of Puerto Vallarta, similar to where, to how Juan lived, except there was a lot more trees, a lot more green, and a lot less neighbor. It was a small community that was basically arranged around a big sandy lot with soccer goals at either end. And no one really parked there unless they had to. They kind of parked out and around where the little cinder block houses were. Same kind of house that, that Julio had, Juan had, and his wife and mother-in-law. Two kids and a baby. And I'll get back to that because there's something involved there when we're leaving a few days later. So we get to Puerto Vallarta. And we go to Wands, and then I remember we went down to the beach, or a, a harbor of some sort, so Julio could go visit his dad. He probably hadn't seen him in a while or something, and he introduced the four of us, us four gringos, to his dad. And his dad was wearing, um, you know, nice slacks and a, and a collared pullover, two-button shirt. And um, he might have worked at a resort or run a small business or something. But I remember his dad not being really overwhelmed or overjoyed to see Julio. He just seemed indifferent. But he shook his hand. I'm not sure they hugged. And then he sized up the four of us with this look like who. Like he, he would turn to Julio when we weren't around and say, what are you doing with these four gringos? But we don't know if that happened, and Julio wouldn't have listened to him anyway. Julio, the most we got out of Julio about his father was, yeah, that's just my dad. And that was it. So we're back up at Juan's again. We've got the afternoon still to do stuff. And so Juan and, and a friend decide to take the five of us and Julio on a hike. So we leave our vans parked by Juan's um, cinder block house I remember they had a little courtyard beside the house and they had a washing rock because we washed our clothes there the next day where you took your clothes and you dunked them in this either a water bucket or a water trough and then you scrubbed them with soap and dunked them in another water and then slammed them on a rock 
and then dunked them in clean water and slammed them on a rock again and you hung them up to dry. And I imagine that was probably 90% of the places we saw. I could bring it back to 80%, but we didn't go to nice, you know, resorts. We were, we were cruising through the underbelly of Mexico, through the, through the, um, the blue collar, if that, that might be the upper end, the ceiling of this caste of people. Just poor, poor Mexicans that, that got along and were happy. Unless, of course, their man decided to leave and go to the United States and leave everyone behind. But we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going on a hike. So let's see. It's either three or four Mexicans, all younger, you know, in their young 20s. And then the four gringos. And we go to the back of the village, the little community, the neighborhood. And then we hike up this trail over to a uh, a steep cascading creek. Not really a creek. What can I call it? It's not a river by any means because you can wade through it. It's a stream. So we And then we start following the stream up. And we come to small waterfalls. And below each waterfall is a little pool. And we, we were in our surf shorts. We'd take our shirt off and we'd swim and cool off. We get out dry enough to put our shirts back on and continue hiking up the uh, a mountain, a small mountain, not really a huge mountain, all jungled in. There were iguanas in the trees, lots of interesting birds everywhere. It was, it was really cool. We stop at this one pool, and the reason I bring this up is something weird happened. We stop at this pool, and I'm, I'm squatting on a rock holding my knees like I'm an egg and I'm just sitting there on the edge of this rock and people are getting in and out of the water and talking and we're just kind of enjoying the day and I just kind of rock forward to fall in the water and as soon as I hit the water I feel this immense smash on my nose on the bridge of my nose and I come up out of the water looking around like who hit me and I look at Sai he's the person closest to me and I'm like did you throw a rock at me and he starts laughing and he goes what are you talking about I'm like, man, when I hit the water, my nose, it felt like someone hit me in the nose with a rock. <laughs> he just laughed at me. And so there's no way he could have because of the angle. I just hit the water from only a few feet up, perfectly on the bridge of my nose, to where it just felt like someone punched me in the face, right in the nose. No blood. But it, it was, you know, it wasn't anything to them. To me, I was kind of discombobulated about the thing like what just what happened and it was just me hitting the water perfectly to smash my nose <laughs> so we keep going up and we they, they tell us what's up this uh stream and what we're going to come to and one of the places is kind of a hideaway bar restaurant mexico style in the jungle and it has this huge pool of natural water and a long rock above it that the the stream comes down over this long flat rock and then drops about four or five feet into the lower pool and pools up and it's a big pool they might have they might have rocked it up to make it that and and even with the flat rock to the side is this huge palapa which is um around here it would be a pole barn you know it had all kinds of posts 
and I had a, I had cross beams and I had thatched roofs, a huge thatched roof, and it was a bar restaurant and I had a lot of locals there, some in the water swimming, some having drinks, just relaxing, doing their thing. This was the place where they filmed the restaurant bar scene in the original Predator movie. And in that area of Puerto Vallarta is where they filmed Predator. And the owner of the place was there when, when they had filmed it. Of course, this is 1999 when we were there. So it wasn't that long before when they had actually filmed Predator. And he had met Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he was, you know, he was a Mr. This guy that owned the bar was Mr. Celebrity because they filmed in his bar. And to all the commoners around, that meant something. So... We swam there and hung out for a while. All the local Mexicans that were there, and when I say Mexicans, don't think it's a bunch of uh, white pants, white pullover top, red neckerchief, sombrero-wearing people. They were just common people. You know, black hair, dark skin, uh, t-shirts, shorts, sandals. Just, they were, they were really nice people. You'd have to go to know. You have to go to know. So we hike up and leave this place. And we come across the next place they take us. And, and two of the people with Juan have pockets full of weed, mota. And every time we stop, they roll a joint and light it up and pass it around. And I'm pretty sure Carter wouldn't have any, wasn't smoking with us. He was headed towards his uh, first major breakdown. Maybe that night or the next night. I can't remember. I'll get to it. Um, we come to this zoo. In the middle of the jungle. No buildings. Just cages. And the cages are locked. There was a fence around. There was a perimeter fence around where all these cages were. But the fencing had been pulled away by locals. And so... Our, our Mexican guides, these kids, pull the fence away and we all crawl in. And we go to each cage and look at these animals. And they were uh, zoo-like animals. They weren't elephants or giraffes. But they were like jaguars and uh, some monkeys. Um, probably more indigenous stuff than anything from, from Central America. And, you know, a handful of cages, you know, seven to ten tops. But there was no one there, so I don't know who gave them water or who fed them. They didn't look malnourished. But it was just an empty zoo up on the mountainside in the jungle. And it was all dirt floored. I mean, there was no <laughs> there was no enhancement to the zoo for, for the visitors' liking. It was just, it was weird. So... We burned one down there too, I guess. I guess I guess we smoked a joint there. These guys, that's all they did. And, uh, you know, I, w I would, you know, it was 1999, it was 20 years ago, I was 30. I, would, I smoked a little. Sure I did. These guys smoked constant. Cy was right there with them. Um, Nate too. They were, they were big time potheads. And, you know, pot didn't hurt you. Let's not get into the whole pot thing. It's starting to be legal across the United States already. 
Okay, I've got the iguanas in the trees. See, I've got my notes here because it's just a cascade of events in in uh, Puerto Vallarta. The next day, well, that night we camp at Wands. Me and my van, Carter and his van, and the other guys on the ground are on cots. And the dogs did their thing there that night. A dog would bark, and then it would ripple out to other dogs and bark. Luckily, it wasn't a crowded community or village or neighborhood or whatever, so there weren't as many dogs. And we didn't hear the chickens like we did down in Acapulco until morning, and it was just local chickens. So that was kind of nice. So we get up, and we're like, let's go surfing. Let's go find a surf spot. The locals, y'all need to take us to a surf spot. And so we go north out of uh, town, out of Puerto Vallarta, and we find this long beach that you can drive down and then you hike down the cliff face not too far to the water and there's break after break after break and so we just have all these different small breaks the waves weren't more than chest high anyway which means you're standing on your board front side going right down a wave and you look at the top of the wave you're riding and it's about as high as your mid top of your midriff that's that's considered chest high up to your nips and so we're, you know, the best waves are about that. And so we're, we're carving these nice rights. And I remember there were three of us at this far break. And before us, where we had parked, Julio and Juan and Carter were surfing. But me and Nate and Cy had gone up to the next break just because, you know, instead of six people on break, you had three and three. And so we're surfing, and, the, and they one of them goes right, and another one catches another wave and goes right, and I'm still paddling back out after my right. And I get about out to where the break starts, and I look back, and I see Carter, I mean, I see Nate and Cy paddling as hard and fast as they can back to Julio and Juan and Carter to break down the beach. And I'm like, oh, ho, ha, ha, very funny, you're paddling away from me. Who cares? I, I can see you. You think you're acting like kids. So I catch a wave, and I'm going right, and I look down in the water because it's real clear, and you can see all the way to the bottom, and it's probably six feet deep, I'm, I'm guessing. And I see why they left. They probably didn't know what it was, but I saw its wingtips flip. Down below me, as I surf over, about six feet down, is the biggest manta ray you've ever seen and many of you probably never seen a manta ray I know I have a listener in Australia God bless you and in French Polynesia God bless you and you probably found me just because I posted some surf stories if you're following the Mexico surf trip thank you God bless you we love you no matter what anybody says you might have seen a manta ray they're huge they're black on their back and they're white on their bottom I didn't see its underside because it was just flapping along on the bottom. I surf over it. It's several feet down. And uh, it didn't freak me out. But after I ended my, my right and kicked back out before you got to the, to the beach, which is all rocks, this whole entire beach, for as far as you can see either way, is just rocks, rocks, rocks. So you didn't go all the way in. And, and because the water was clear, that's good. You could see where little rock upcroppings would be so you could dodge that. Because you hit a rock with your board, if you catch it with your fin, you're 
your board's going to stop and you're going to fly forward and hope that there's no rocks in the water where you go. None of us had that happen because we were pretty careful about where we surfed and, and how we surfed and how we got to know our spot before we really started to loosen up and, and just surf it willy-nilly. Willie Nelson. So, we surf that place. I see the giant manta ray. So cool. We load up at sunset and go all the way back to Wands on the south side of Puerto Vallarta, up in the hills. And uh, we, I, I guess we might have eaten coming through Puerto Vallarta. We went to town the night before and ate in Puerto Vallarta at some some local fast food place. I don't remember what it was called. Um, we ate a lot of tacos, but tacos down there aren't the hard shell tacos. They're the they're the corn tortillas, and they double them up. So you have two corn tortillas, or small and round, wrapped around whatever you know, fish or chicken or carne, which is meat or pork. Um, and we ate everything in Mexico. I mean, we ate everything. It was what we drank that we were careful about. We drank uh, either canned sodas or juices or uh, cartons of milk. We would get banana leche, which was kind of a banana milkshake, but it was thin. They tasted so good. They were amazing. We got those wherever we could find those. Um, and bottled water. We made sure we got un, we got sealed, top sealed bottles of water. And we would we would buy um, big gallons and multi-gallon containers of water as we went on the trip because we didn't want to drink the water. That's what everybody thinks, right? You go to Mexico, don't drink the water. Also, don't get the local ice because the ice could be made from local water. But when you get in these neighborhoods and cities, you see these huge tanks that look like huge propane tanks for a business or for a community or something. But they're water purification tanks that put pure water or purified water into the neighborhoods well you got to wonder how the piping is so we stayed safe on on our drinking water so we're night two maybe yeah night two talking about the future plans our plan was to find a town a city along the coast that had um, that had passenger ships, ferries, ferry boats to take our vehicles and us across the mouth of the Bay of California to Cabo San Lucas at the bottom of Baja. Now we figured Mazatlan would be the place to do it. That was the first place we'd come to that had uh, ferries going across and they would go straight across along the latitude, along the Tropic of Cancer actually. We were all below the Tropic of Cancer not long after we got into Mexico. That's why the sun was so intense during the middays. And we were getting sun. We were getting good sun. We were using sun protection, but we were we were we were uh sun stricken <laughs> without going sun crazy. So we're talking about the ferry trip and we get to talking about money. I've got money. Carter has money. Nate has no money. Sai is low on money, but if he really needed funds, he could wire for funds from his family. And then our Mexican friends didn't have very much money either. They they had 
just simple jobs doing whatever they did. Julio was a lifeguard. He probably didn't get paid very much to be a lifeguard. I have no idea what Juan did. I don't remember what Juan did. Um, we were in Juan's house, and the women were in another room or, or at another house. I think Juan's house was like a duplex where mother lived in one half, and Juan and his little family lived in the other. And we were in Juan's half. And I think all the women and the kids were in the mother half. So it was all us guys having a rooster session. And Carter was laying on someone's bed or a couch. I don't think they had a couch though. You could, I mean, it's open air into these, into these houses. And so you have humidity and, and moisture in the air. So he's laying on something, and he and he decides that he wants to go his own way, and we're just like, "What? When did you decide this, Carter?" He's like, "Ah, you know, I'm just not happy traveling as a group. I'm not getting to do the things that I want to do, and I just feel like I'd be better off if I went by myself and just took a ferry over to Baja, because we've been we've been talking about taking the ferry to Baja, but we'd been doing a little research." The, closer we got and we were finding out how expensive they were how that it took more than just a few hours it took a day or more to get over there on a slow ferry and you couldn't stay with your vehicles you had to do separate which meant you either just sat in a major in a major viewing room or you could rent a room with beds and we didn't have money for that you know we were shoestringing this whole thing and loving it and that was going to cramp our uh, style, or lack of style. And so Carter decided he wanted to go on his own, which would have left me with Cy and Nate and Julio. So that's four guys. But then there'd also been talk of Juan going with us too. So that'd be me with five guys in my van and... I'm the only one that had any money to speak of. And I went off on Carter as kindly as I could and asked him if he was just testing us. Are you just testing us to see how we'll react and whether we want you to stay with us and that we love you or something? Or are you just really seriously going to shaft us and go your own way and, and you're going to stick me with all these people riding in my van? And I'm going to probably end up having to flip for all of them, too. And he's like, well, I'm just thinking about it. And I was like, well, you need to think about it with your brain. And I'll walk out and go to my van and hang out. And I believe Julio came out. Sigh. I can't remember Sigh. I don't know what happened after that. I know we all went to bed. And we got up in the morning, and Carter was like, it never happened. <laughs> It never happened. So we're all good to go. Juan's going with us. He's packing his stuff. I remember the sun had come up over the trees. It was still early. It was a bright, warm sun. I remember it being one of those... The kind of morning I never really liked is when... And and it's and it's so backwards. Is is when it is just crystal clear blue sky and the sun is up and it's hot 
and the sun is illuminating everything and it just sometimes I just feel like I'm on the surface of the sun and there's nothing there and I don't like it and I just had that feel that morning and it probably was kicked in because of the way Carter was acting the night before and that sigh or Nate one is sitting beside me as we're leaving the little neighborhood and Juan and Julio are sitting in the back of my van. Now, I don't have anything against them. I never did have anything against them. We put it to a vote the night before. The last thing we did, I remember now, we put it to a vote on Juan going with us. Because we knew it was kind of putting a little stress on our uh, supplies. Because they didn't have anything to offer except they spoke Spanish. Because once we started getting further north, Julio was out of his element other than language and Juan didn't go north very much you know he went south kind of like if I when I lived in San Clemente I never went north into LA at all I went south towards San Diego because it's always cooler in the south if you know what I mean so we're going we're leaving I can't remember who was in front I had I had Juan and Julio in the back seat and Juan was was visually upset and sad but he was going to the United States and he was going with his half-brother it was his half-brother Julio and Juan were half-brothers now that I think about it and I look in my mirror and I realize that Juan's wife his Ruka was pulling the greatest act the greatest soap opera moment she was pulling it off live that I've ever seen not on TV she is walking down the side of the road and we had passed her I guess she had left before we got in the vehicles cranked up to go down the hill to, to go through town and go north and leave we passed her and Juan saw her out the corner of his eye and she was walking to work she was carrying their one-month-old baby in one hand, one arm, and I think with her fingers she had a jug of water hooked, but in her other hand she had this huge pitcher of water with, with no lid, just this huge clear pitcher of water. So she's carrying all this water, tears are streaming down her face. Her dark hair, you know, her, her she's wearing a white dress, I believe, with a little blue fringe or something. Pretty girl carrying her baby and as we pass and start to go over this hill to go down I hear a scream and I look in my rearview mirror and she just flings the <laughs> she flings the pitcher of water and it splashes everywhere it landed in dirt and didn't break the other bottle of water whatever was in her hand with her baby drops she just flops to the ground on her butt how she didn't drop the baby, I don't know, because it was like her legs were taken up from under. She just went whomp on the ground, just crying out loud after she screamed. And Juan's in the back, hears and sees, and goes, stop, stop, stop the van. So I stop. And he opens my side sliding door and gets out. And he walks back to her. And I believe Carter was behind me. He saw all this, and he was just in awe with a smile. He's so evil. <laughs> and... I'm watching, and you can't hear what they're saying, but Juan helps her up, 
and kisses his baby and kisses her and helps dust her off and then he walks back gets in the van closes the door sniffles and says okay let's go <laughs> and I'm just like okay let's go and so we leave and he left her and his one month old baby and two daughters I believe I think they were daughters I think he had all girls I think it was all women and him and maybe that's why he wanted to go with his brother just to get a break obviously he'd go back at some point who knows when I know when but I'm not going to say just yet but we go and so uh, and I think we had an extra surfboard on top now his surfboard he had a shortboard too and so we decide this morning let's go surf <laughs> let's get this out of our minds that was heavy and so we go back to the same place we surfed before it was called Playa Saladita I found it in my book and you're winding along I guess it was National 202 I'm not sure if it was 2 or 202 the highway that runs along the coast but we we're, we're on it and we're headed to this break and there's a lot of cars in front of us and behind us and when I see the Playa Saladita turn you got to turn left across oncoming traffic and there were cars coming and so I'm waiting a lot of cars behind me a tanker truck trucks vehicles and I'm, I'm waiting for my time to turn left and, and I have my blinker on because I use the blinker people I have fingers and so I have blinkers and I use them it's my turn to turn left and as I turn left I probably go about eight feet max and here comes this American Ford sedan I don't know what kind of car it was flying beside me from behind passing me and it it hit my van I know it hit my van down in front of my tire and and I remember the van rocking back and forth like you were on a boat sideways in the waves I look over at Cy and his eyes are huge and he's looking at me and so the van stops and the car that, that clipped us slid into the curb on the turn-in and, and one side of it went up there and back down and the whole side of his car was just raked and one of his tires was broken off at the axle from slamming into the side and it's a Mexican man and his wife and they're older than us but not too old and she is looking at him like I will kill you in your sleep Sai's looking at me and down at my feet like is your foot crushed because my feet are on you know in a Volkswagen Vanagon you're in the front on top of the wheel and your pedals are above the wheels right there by the my left foot is right there by the blinker and the headlight and I look down and there's no damage on the interior I'm like I'm good I'm good and he's like oh my god <laughs> that was crazy so we pull over into the turn-in and the guy's there getting out of the car semi-freaked out and his wife's going off on him and traffic's moving on and I'm like okay my van is totally got to be totally destroyed down this down the side and I open the door and look back and I I just see the dusty finger drawings of waves that I've done the whole trip and no damage and so I close my door and look at my door and there's no damage and I look up at the front and my my blinker plastic blinker covers cracked 
and the corner of the front bumper is dented in like someone hit it with a fast pitch softball and then maybe there was some scratches and cracks and that was it I mean almost no damage no I mean obviously it was totally drivable and we were fine everybody was freaked out and then the police show up and he's trying you know by now I'm speaking good Spanish so I'm I'm kind of telling him what happened and so then he has the other guy's side and he's talking to him and so here I am saying, oh, my God, he's getting my story. I'm a foreigner. He's getting his story. He's a local. You can look at the skid marks and look at my vehicle and his vehicle and where they ended up and see that it wasn't my fault. It was just Mexican's fault. Luckily, there was a road angel, and I can't think of the Spanish name for him, but there were these men in tow trucks with toolkits who drove around there were green trucks with white signs on them something angel or angel something road angels and he was way back in the line about 10 cars back and saw everything and told the cop everything well then a federale shows up with his shirt unbuttoned to his sternum and his greasy comb back hair i mean it's it sounds it sounds stereotypical, but this guy was the quintessential. Look at these big words. He was the quintessential federale, dark glasses, mustache, greaseball. <laughs> and the policeman and the road angel tell him the same story. And so he walks up to me, the federale, and says, how much? And I don't know what the hell he means, how much. And I'm like, uh, I don't follow you. No say. It was, how much do you want? For the damage so this can go away i'm like I, I have no idea i mean it's not a lot of damage to my vehicle his car is the one that's damaged we're fine he goes uh how about 200 pesos maybe i said 200 pesos that that comes out to 20 dollars, people but that's what i got i got two 100 peso bills which was two ten dollar mexican bills so I got $20 which wasn't very much but we were just happy to get out of that with because there was so little damage and so then we went to Saladita and surfed but we, we were so nerve-wracked that anything Carter had done the night before was was completely erased and whited out by this wreck so Puerto Vallarta had been a real brain buster so we go down there, we take a break, we drink, we find some cold drinks. I kept drinking something that they were selling in, in town squares called horchata, which was like a, I don't, I don't think it was coconut water. It was, it was like a white milky water. It was sweet. And they gave it to you in bags, like plastic bags with a straw sticking in it. And if you set it down, it would just collapse and spill out everywhere. So you held the bag by the top and you drank it until it was gone. Well, we learned from Julio and Juan, because we were noticing the further north we got, the more trashy the sides of the roads got. There was more litter and more litter and more litter. And we learned that uh, before there were plastic bags, you got your food in banana leaves or some other plant leaf. It was wrapped in it. And there were certain leaves that they could put drinks in, too. 
And when you were done with it, you either reused the leaf or something else, or you just threw it down because it was a leaf. And it rotted and turned into soil over time. And when the plastic bag was introduced to Mexico, everything went into the plastic instead of the leaves. And biodegradation disappeared. And people would get their plastic bags of horchata and drink it and throw the plastic straw and bag on the ground. And so what we when it was windy and we're driving on the road, you'd see, like, say, a Walmart plastic bag. You'd see those blowing around. The further north we got, the more we saw. We called them Mexican tumbleweeds. I still call them that, although we just as well call them American tumbleweeds nowadays. So we're getting some cool drink and we're calming our nerves. We might even have some beers. I would not be surprised if we had some cold beers that'll pull up on the beach just to chill. And we got our plan together with Carter's inclusion. We're going to go to a place just north of here. I think we had to change states. Yeah, we changed states leaving Puerto Vallarta pretty fast. And we went into this little, little state that has no name. Nyarn, maybe. I don't know. Not important. But there's a little, a little place called San Blas. And Nate and Carter talked it up, and had been talking it up, that it had the longest right in the world. I'm pushing 37 minutes here. I'm going to make it quick, I guess. It's supposedly, this place at San Blas had the longest right in the world. Now, there were islands way offshore, you know, 60 kilometers offshore, that would break up swell. But this was just a little below going straight out across to them, so swell should, coming from the southeast, push right in there and make this nice long right. And so we get to San Blas, and his friend has a little bar there. Um, Juan's friend has a little bar there. And so we pull up and camp in some shades of some palm trees, which we were having coconuts. I think we had a machete with us that no one ever took. And and we were finding coconuts all along that, uh, gosh, there's a name for that underbelly before it cuts up north at Puerto Vallarta and then goes back to the northwest. Down there we had we had coconuts. But at San Blas, we went to the longest right and we got our longboards and we walked out there to that point and you had to go around so you could see it. There was a big scoop of land that went for like two miles and the waves were about six inches tall. And so it was just enough wave to get on your board and put along in front of it, but there was no sections to, you couldn't go fast enough to make the sections to make it a long ride. So we rode these six inch waves and that was, that was uh, the longest ride in the world. And, and it wasn't near as good as the Verde River, obviously, because those were head high waves and it was fast and that was awesome. But that was in Oaxaca. We're getting north. By now, we're, I think we ran into another spot where we had chest high waves. And that was at San Blas. San Blas was also where the sunken boat was in the lineup where you went out and surfed. Like you, you paddled right next to this sunken rusty hull. And that's where you caught the right and you'd go right for a little ways. But not a long ride because there was two jetties close together and we were surfing within the jetties. By, by this, this guy's bar was right there at the, at, the, at the beginning of the first jetty. And the boat was sunken 
at the at the end of the second jetty. And so we car camped there. I remember that the uh, gnats were awful. And because it was warm, it cooled off at night. But we didn't have any kind of bug screen. And the gnats were just awful. And so I, I buttoned up my van. And it was a little warm in there. And I might have cracked a window. I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't have any screens in my windows. I might have hung a t-shirt over it so air, you know, cool air could try to get in. I remember that morning we were pretty stoked on get, getting out of there and moving on to a place that didn't have bugs like that place. Um, Carter had his next meltdown that day when we were traveling. And that was about, and it was about the same old crap of going to Baja somehow. And by now we had pretty much written that off because we found that it was going to be way too expensive to go take our vans on these on these uh, ships on these ferries over to Baja and then it would take days and days to go up Baja probably a week if not more because Baja is long and desolate and we'd been in country now for weeks maybe three weeks already maybe more I know we were pushing the envelope on our uh, visas and that in in um, Puerto Vallarta we tried to get our visas our travel visas extended and they wouldn't do it and I remember we were riding through Puerto Vallarta trying to figure out how to get back to the highway and we couldn't find it and I, I had all these cracks in my windshield by now but the main one was because I punched my windshield because I was mad at Carter because he kept changing his mind on all these things. Well, anyway, we were at the beach. And we get on the road. And we go to a gas station. It's been an hour on the road. And we go to a gas station. And that's when he decides that he needs to, to service his van. And we're not on the, the cool, winded beach anymore. We're in the hot inland desert, almost. And it's time to serviced the van and last time he serviced his van he couldn't get it started and it took three hours and so he threw us into that again and that's where i'm going to leave it for episode six ses in mexico the surf trip do not let your friends drive you crazy and don't drive your friends crazy this is harry day with too true to lie it's all true. I won't lie to you. Peace.